The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. <laughs> Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our section of positional reviews, and this is the one we've all been waiting for, the quarterback position. Uh, certainly at the uh, heart of everything about the Ravens offseason is, is the future of Lamar Jackson. Joining us here to talk about that is Jake Luke of Baltimore Beatdown. Jake, how are you doing? Ken, I am doing all right, sir. How about you? It is great to have you back again. I wish the Ravens were still playing, but uh, you know something tells me they might have gotten – they might have gotten beaten Kansas City or just been another cold game sitting outside. But uh, you know what? That's what we live to do is go to these playoff games and, and have fun. It feels like a little bit of a stress relief, though, doesn't it? It's a little bit of a yeah. weight off the shoulders. 
it, it really is. They they played one playoff game and played very well. I think you know the, the you can look at it just in terms of win probability, fifty five percent down from sixty nine percent to win the game before the snap to fourteen percent after their return. So uh, uh, we're going to get into that unfortunately a little bit later as well. But uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. So uh, uh, we have to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please be give their product a try. They've been really good to us, and uh, we do appreciate that sponsorship. So we go into this offseason with a QB position being at the heart of everybody's thoughts. In fact, it's it's not even going to be a whole offseason because the Ravens really need to seal this thing up by, I think, the start of the league year, uh, where it's going to be much more difficult in terms of being a drag on free agency, cuts, other cuts they'll have to make. If they have to get to the point where they tag him, that will have to trigger some other things to happen. Uh, how do you see this playing out? It's interesting. And I really, I don't know how to feel is the unfortunate sort of mealy mouth take on it for me right now. I mean, and how are you supposed to know how to feel as a fan, as an analyst, as really anything, uh, any sort of neutral observer in this situation where it felt like things were fraying a little bit uh, with this relationship uh, in certain ways. And, you know, that's not from any sort of inside info. It's just kind of reading the tea leaves from what I saw uh, towards the end of last year. And then you have the press conference where they come out, you know, to call us down Harbaugh and they say all the right things and 200% uh, we want to have him back. So I don't know. It, it's a certain thing where it, it felt one way toward the end of the season. I was encouraged by what I heard in the press conference and it's, we're just going to have to wait and see. And I hate to sort of punt on the answer like that, but I just, I have legitimately no idea how to feel right now. That's, that is honestly where I am as well. Um, you know, if I had to put a percentage chance on him being back, I, I think I'm a little more optimistic than other people. I put it in the low sixties that he's back. Uh, one thing I'm encouraged by is the fact that it's, it's harder and harder to find a line on him if you want to bet him staying on the Ravens, by the way, as one of the one of the people to take really seriously in terms of, of prognosticating this is people who are actually putting their money on it because that 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 line is um, weighted by dollars and not weighted by count of idiots. I want to remind people that, that, that you know, that the dollars talk in there. And if if the line is out, the, the smart money has more the smart money generally is more money. And they will make up for a bad line pretty quickly if they think they perceive it. So the fact that a line isn't being offered on Ravens, actually, I, on, on him being with the Ravens next year, actually is pretty pretty good from my point of view. Yeah, I, I certainly would think so. And, you know, I think as much as there is something to what you said there about following the money, I think some of the stuff is preliminary to where you have New York Jets plus whatever it is to be the favorite. I think we're a little bit early to be talking about favorites at this point, uh, as far as my point of view is uh, looking at this situation. So it's going to be interesting. We're going to see what happens. But uh, yeah, I think there are some preliminary tea leaves to use that word again that you can read. And uh, that, that might be one of them. Yeah, I, uh, one line that came out very early had the Ravens as plus 500 to be his team next year which means there was only one chance in six that he'd be back. I, I don't believe that. I, I don't believe for a second that no one is offering that. And if they were, I'd be jumping all over it. I can tell you that. But uh, uh, it, it, there's so much to, to work through on this. I think maybe we're better off talking about his 2022 season first. And you know what went right? What went wrong really on the field in terms of who Lamar Jackson was? Obviously, the, this team was very optimistic, I think, and that's that's why they were so frustrated and even leads to some of, some of the things Sammy Watkins said in terms of what they could have done in the playoffs had he been active. Yeah, and I think 
it feels like maybe not a tale of two seasons, but it feels like a tale of multiple seasons where when you talk about what went right, I think back to that first month and man, he just looked as good as I think we had ever seen him as a pro, uh, not just as a player in the middle of plays, but before plays where he's, you know, barking at the line of scrimmage and full command of the offense, calling out defenses. I think he looked as cerebral, as intellectual, and just, you know, really, really as sharp as we had seen him, I think, uh, as a pro. And then I think it, it falls apart a little bit when Rashad Bateman gets hurt. Uh, the offense goes in the tank uh, to a certain extent after that. And it just kind of felt like he was he was paddling upstream a little bit at certain points. But the talent obviously was still there. And then the injury gets him once again, and that ends the year once again. So it felt like good to mediocre, kind of hanging on to obviously not bad, but injured. And uh, it's it's very much a mixed bag. But I think we saw as good as we've ever seen from him this season, which is an encouraging sign for his future, I think. Yeah, I, I, those first three games in particular with 10 touchdowns and two interceptions were were terrific. And then he was certainly slinging the ball around. Uh, good weather in the Miami game, but not good weather in that in that New England game when I think he had four touchdown passes in that game, didn't he? Yeah, four, five four total. Five, five totally because he ran for one. Okay, yeah. And, uh, you know, just obviously one of the things that's been ascribed to Lamar at times is that he's not as weather resistant as Joe Flacco was. I mean, Joe Flacco obviously – he won some great cold weather games. That's why he's that's why he's January Joe. Uh, it didn't always matter if the wind was blowing hard because the other quarterback was going to be more affected with the with the way Flacco, uh, uh, you know, threw a, uh, a, a 99 mile an hour fastball pretty much all the time. Uh, when he's, uh, in fact, to the detriment of some of his receivers, occasionally they would describe as remorselessly throwing, you know, too hard for them. Uh, but Jackson has been a guy who who you know was impacted by the wind in the Tennessee game early in that game with a kind of a wind aided interception, I believe to start that game, which really that started the whole wheels off the cart process in that game. Yeah. And uh, the Buffalo game as well in 2020. Um, And that was just completely adverse conditions where you have Justin Tucker missing multiple field goals. You don't see that. So yeah, it is the, uh, you know, shout out to Kramer. Uh, Is, is he a mutter, right? That's kind of the question. And uh, I think he's shown himself not to be in certain instances, but uh, the sample sizes on that, I think are kind of interesting. And especially in a town like this, where it it can get cold in December, but sometimes it's not. So he's had a couple of years where I think he's had some extreme Decembers, maybe a couple of years where it's not. So that's, I think that's kind of an interesting, interesting point you bring up there. Yeah. It is. Is he a mutter? That's, that's really the question. The star in the program. By the way, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I've been to dog racing in New England area somewhere. And I don't remember if it was in Massachusetts or whether there's another state up there. But they have a star on the program. It means something different. It doesn't mean you're a mutter. It means that you lost at least two pounds the last time you were in a group lockup pen. So they treat the dogs like crap, by the way. It's one of the things really reason I hate dog racing. And they'll they if they had to if they had to eat in a group, that they're not aggressive enough to get their food and they, they might tend to lose weight. So just an awful sport. <laughs> there's, there's, I've got more stories, but we're not going to make the Lamar Jackson episode into that. Um, if, you, if we're looking at, at things that went right for Lamar on the field, other things, do you want to start and pick something that, that you really liked or, or things that didn't go right? Pick, pick one thing and I'll respond. Yeah, I would say uh, things that went right. I think he, did do a nice job of battling through the adversity when he was battling through it. Obviously he got injured. We know about that. And that's adversity that you really can't overcome uh, in certain ways. So we don't have to get too much into that, but I thought he 
And it might not have totally looked positive 100% of the time, but I think he showed himself to be a vocal leader in the New Orleans game when things are going wrong procedurally and he's spiking the football and he's not afraid to get in Ronnie Stanley's face or whoever it is and tell them, this is not good. This is not correct. I think he had it in the Tampa Bay game, a couple of interactions as well. I think one with Pat Ricard where he was very vocal. And I think he there's a perception of him a little bit where... He's kind of just this happy-go-lucky kid, right? Or at least there was uh, going back to 2019 when things were just going well for 14 weeks in a row or whatever it was. And he's just smiling at press conferences and he's he's the talk, the toast of the town. Uh, you know, things have been a little bit different since then. It's kind of been, uh, things have been turned on their head in certain respects. Uh, and I think in this season that showed a little bit, but I think he showed some fight and he showed some, he showed some salt. And uh, I do appreciate that. And I think it, it, if nothing else, it's not really something tangible to glom onto, but I think it shows an intangible sort of development uh, of him as a leader. I, I'm going to respond to that because I had leadership points to make as well. I think you, you, you've latched onto a good one that he has some good on-field leadership qualities, and the fire is not a not a terrible one. I, I want him to direct that in a more mature way on the field, and you could, if you want to get in another player's face about it, that's okay. You want to go 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 at it with a player on the bench, be demonstrative with your gestures and whatnot. I'm not crazy about it, but that still could be okay if you really think it can motivate the guy. What I don't want to see is some of the other immature elements, spiking the football, punting it, um, you know, when the ball doesn't get snapped. I, I have real questions about exactly why the 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 play is so late getting to the line. Well, I don't know that it's so late getting into the huddle because that communication does get cut off at some point. But I want to know why it's so late getting to the line of scrimmage because it seems to me that Lamar is probably part of the problem there. I'm not sure if he's 10% of the problem, and I'm not sure if he's 60% of the problem. But I think he's part of the problem there. I don't think it's all Greg Roman. I don't think it's all intermediate relay people. I don't think it's all you know what's going on in the huddle and people not getting it or one particular person not getting it because the Ravens are rotating in players or whatever. I don't really know what it is exactly, but I'd like to see him be – a more mature on-field leader than I thought I saw in 22. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's a fair point. And I think just the fact that we're seeing a little bit more of the vocal leadership, I think could lend itself to the fact that he could develop more into a refined one. I think we saw an unrefined version of it this past year, but with the negatives, you take the positives and hope that the positives are going to be more there for you moving forward as opposed to uh, both of them. And uh, yeah, it was tough, man. I mean, it just got... It, it felt like performance art after a certain point of the play getting in late and just the frustration and the guys just, you know, not knowing where they're supposed to be. And I think you talk about substituting players in and out. I think that's part of it. I think Romans, uh, you know, I think he had his positives, but I think the verbiage in his playbook and sort of the extended nature of it was uh, not one of them. Uh, and yeah, just ultimately, I think that's, that's going to be crucial, I think, is paring down the verbiage and making it so that Jackson doesn't have to worry about uh, those types of things if, in fact, he is the quarterback in 2023. Substitution offenses and substitution defenses in those two ways have problems of a similar type. And high substitution defenses will often play a man short. And it just happens because you don't make all your – and they, they also get 12 men on the field penalties, which are you know, the other side of that coin. But you, it, when you make substitutions, you risk substitution error. <laughs> it's just that that simple. Same goes on the offense. And when you do that, a guy's late to the huddle. And in particular, the wide receivers were, I think, the problem with some of the um, not being on the correct side of the field to have the uh, tackle covered. 
the time you're mentioning that he was angry with Ricard, I think Ricard was lined up properly. I think it was the wide receiver on the other side was on the wrong side and, and, and you know, they, they, they didn't have it matched up properly. Ricard could have fixed it by moving up to the line of scrimmage, which would have been, you know, fantastic recognition on his part, but, uh, but not otherwise. And uh, there was another one dur- during the year where Andrews noticed it. He was signaling for it like crazy. I would give Mark Andrews the right to call timeout in that situation if the game situation demands it. Yeah, and I think talking about the wide receiver position, Demarcus Robinson was starting a lot of games for them down the stretch. He was signed to the roster in August. Yep. Deshaun Jackson is playing significant snaps for snaps for them down the stretch. He was signed to the team mid-season. Yeah. It goes back to, and this is obviously a cliche argument that I'm sure we'll probably touch on a little bit here, uh, more in depth at certain points, or maybe not since it's a quarterback episode, but they just they have to settle that position. They can't keep they can't keep doing this thing where they're rehashing guys and whatever the cost is going to be, whatever you have to figure out as far as getting cost effective options. I'm okay with that, but they need to at least settle it down a little bit and not have guys coming in and out because I think that was part of the issue as well. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, there are there's value to their tight ends being in and out of the game. Now they're part of the they're they're part of the wide men. They're part of the, the the people that need to necessarily be on the line of scrimmage if they're an X on on uh, on a side with a, a naked tackle, for example. But uh, they really they, they got to get that figured out, regardless of what it is. They have to get that that part figured out. I, but we're we're talking about Lamar here, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with well, actually it's your turn. You go ahead with with your next Lamar point. I've got another leadership point on Lamar I wanted to make though. Yeah, we can uh, we can continue with that at a certain point. But ultimately, I think I thought like. To stick with the positives, I don't think his mechanics devolved in the same way that I think we had seen it in the years past. I think he did a good job continuing with the wider base throughout the year, and I think he did a good job keeping his delivery delivery a little bit tighter throughout the year because I feel like in years past, it was a situation where he would come out in week one, 2020. I remember he balled out in week one, 2019, obviously, as well. Uh, 2021, different to a certain extent, but the offensive line had been reshuffled. Uh, and I don't know, I think despite all the chaos around him, I think he mechanically remained kind of a similar football player throughout most of the year, which was something that I don't really recall seeing from him in years past. Yeah, it's, I think that's a valid point. I think, you know, you, you, how Lamar's had to win has been so varied as time has moved on and, and we've seen change, you know, evolution of his play in a lot of ways. Um, I still feel like he's a player who does best attempting to extend a play. And and you know you see that in the in the total time to throw that he's really trying to do that still. And Lamar Jackson's very dangerous after three seconds if he's still running around and 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 might throw the ball somewhere or run it. Um, but anyway, I, I, I'm there's certainly uh, mechanically I, I there weren't there aren't things I would point to that would have been boy he's not doing this right this can't work or at least there's nothing that comes to comes off the top of my head to 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 really beat down but there's things that were going right before in terms of the results that were a, a a reflection of mechanics and the biggest one i have is his success in the red zone early in his career and until 2020 in fact until that playoff loss at buffalo i think he had not thrown an end zone interception sorry not thrown a red zone interception in his career and then he threw the one to Tehran and and uh uh, that got run back the whole distance and the lights kind of went out at that point. But his ability to move laterally along that line of scrimmage and then make a throw was was at a remarkable level. Some of that is offensive line-based. They were able to protect him for additional time. They would sometimes hold in additional players to do it. 
But what he could do to find space with those receivers was just something remarkable. And we that's, an, that's something we have not continued to see. And I have a harder time determining whether the rest of the league is catching up with it. He doesn't have the receiving personnel or he's just not as good at it himself as he was initially. Yeah, I would I would tend to think that it's probably a combination of all of those things. And maybe it'll uh, it'll be a situation where we finally get more clarity on that when ideally they bring him back and they build out a more serious receiving core around him. So that part of it can get answered. The offensive line seems to have been settled in. And then uh, when you talk about receivers being next to each other and the Greg Roman passing concepts, whatever buzzword that people want to use with that is maybe you bring in a uh, more passing centric offensive coordinator that's going to have that not happen you know, as often and um, make it so that the scramble drill might even be more effective because there'll be more options to choose from. Yeah. More, more effective in the scramble drill. And, and, you know, the nice thing about running a lot of four verts, uh, which they, they didn't do as much this year because they got a bunch of tight ends on the roster, but they still get players to significant depth uh, is, is that that was creating a lot of underneath space where he was his own check down. That, that was very effective in times past. He has not been quite as effective as a scrambler, uh, you know, in the, in the years since 2019, obviously, uh, but still led the team in rushing for the fourth straight year. And that was with missing a bunch of games, obviously. It's, it's fairly remarkable to me still. Uh, th- I don't think he's lost much in terms of his ability to read opponent leverage. And I think the offense with him taking mostly middle runs as opposed to edge runs out of the pistol in his rookie year. He was, he's now mostly middle runs out of sidecar. So the, the back is an outside threat. They take draw people out of position. A jet motion may draw people out of position. Counter may take people out of position. But basically all of that is create up the middle opportunities for Lamar Jackson to run the football. And he's done extremely well with that. And I think the, the, the way the offense has been run the last couple of years is actually there to maximize his ability to read leverage. Yeah, and I like continuing to incorporate a lot of that. And I think he put on weight, interestingly enough, to help accommodate uh, some of the hits that he would take, taking the ball uh, on those option plays up the middle. And uh, I think that was really a smart thing because he would do sort of those, I, I don't know if you'd call them stretch or whatever the terminology would be, where he would go to the outside when he was younger and he didn't have that type of weight on him. It feels like he's kind of rebuilt his body to be able to take on that uh, that payload, basically. And uh, it's been, uh, I think, an interesting transformation. And I think, you know, outside of these two injuries that haven't really related to that at all, I don't think it's been a, a smart move for him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think net it's been a smart move. He did uh, on the on the touchdown against Miami early on, the, the real long touchdown. He had touchdown Miami, the Giants, whichever one it was, the really long one Miami, where he yeah. where he almost got caught. Um, it, it was you know the, he looks like he's you know delivering a refrigerator or whatever as he's as he's delivering you know running down the field. But uh, but it's it's still I would say it looks like he can carry that weight and still be an effective runner. Yeah, it, uh, it to your point there, he kind of looked like J.K. Dobbins did at certain points yes. when he was breaking away. It's kind of <laughs> like the hobble, uh, whatever's going on with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's still getting it done, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to a leadership point and make that because we, we talked about the on-field leadership. And, and I think there's reasons to to feel mixed about about what's going on, that, that he's still got improvement to make there. The off-field leadership is also mixed. And I'll, I'll give you the good first and then we'll, the good news first and then the bad news. The good news is, he still remains the North star at getting guys ready for the regular season. His life is all about football. As far as I can tell, he has a coaching guru in the off season. I don't think anybody's, you know, derived more from his off season regiment in terms of positional coaching than Lamar Jackson has. And I wish other players 
offensive linemen, wide receivers, whatever they are, even though they want the offseason you know, to themselves, I wish they would invest in themselves and, and you know, get the same kind of training he did. So that's the good side. Let's react to that first before we move on to the bad. No, I 100% agree. I think working with Adam Dadeau and all, all that he's really been doing, it, it shows a maturity in him that I, I think he deserves more credit for because, like I said, I think people maybe still view him as that happy-go-lucky kind of kid and they maybe want to speak for him and say this, that, and the other, but I don't know. I think he's put the work in and uh, he has gotten his career to this point, which is a very successful, very accomplished uh, professional quarterback. You know, Could he have done more in his time thus far? Maybe, but he's done a pretty good, a damn good job, I think, thus far. And yeah, I think uh, some of the things that you're talking about there uh, are a credit to that. I, my downside is relatively minor. I wish he had not put out a statement about his injury towards the end of the year. I just wish that hadn't been done. And and part of the reason is neither him nor Harbaugh is exactly handling the situation correctly. And I, I've got some real defenders of John Harbaugh on this show um, uh, who who really take offense to that comment. Um, but but Harbaugh, I wish he would have controlled the outside narrative that was that was basically saying <clears throat> Lamar didn't want to take an injury risk because he had his next contract coming up. Obviously, Harbaugh wanted wanted the um, wanted him back under under you know any circumstances he could have possibly had him. I think. But he should have said something to the media that basically said, hey, look, don't get on Lamar about this. He wants to be back on this field more than absolutely anybody you'll see. Don't talk. Don't make comments in frustration with effectively the reporters to say, we're just trying to coach the players we have here. Like, how are how is anybody supposed to take that? There's not there's there's a huge information gap that any number of idiots can fall into. Okay, and that includes people in the media and people who are are absorbing that information. Otherwise, you just got to do a better job of clarifying what you mean by that. And if they think it's coach speak, that's okay. At least it doesn't drive a wedge between you and Lamar potentially. Yeah. And I'm as big a John defender as anyone, but I think the, the evidence is out there that he is maybe not the greatest fireman when it comes to the fire that these injury PR situations prove themselves to be. And, uh, you know, I mean, eight years ago at this point, it was Brashad Perryman, now uh, we saw it play out the last couple of months with this and they were different situations even, but I think this kind of was a nice sort of parallel to that a little bit. And yeah, it's just as much as I like John, I think he does get a little, a little emotional. I think he's an emotional head coach and that can be a positive when you're riding the high of that sort of end of the roller coaster and it can help the players get up for certain games. And then that could be a negative when they're maybe not playing up to their competition or they're not playing above their competition that they should be. And he's getting in front of the media and uh, he doesn't know what to say. And that results in him getting emotional and that results in him saying things that he should not. And so, yeah, I think he has some culpability in that. Uh, I think Lamar maybe has a little bit of culpability in it as well. But uh, I'm also not one of these people that's going to tell him what he should or should not be doing when it comes to his career. I'm of the opinion that based on what I heard and just reading the tea leaves and looking at that situation, I'm of the opinion that if he had been under a contract, he probably would have tried to go ahead and play. And I'm also of the opinion that it's perfectly okay, given the fact that he did not, if he did not want to. And to me, it seemed like he didn't want to. And um, I don't know. I, I'm perfectly okay with all sides of it. It's just the PR sort of aspect of it that you mentioned. It could have been handled better by all parties. And so if that's a negative in Lamar's sort of quote-unquote leadership category, I'm totally fine for dinging him for that. But it's not that serious, right? It's not like a character thing. It's just a... it's 
you know, a PR business side of the sport thing that uh, I think does need to be considered when you're talking about this kind of stuff. It's, it's the other, the other group that has its hand in it or appeared to is the NFLPA. I just, you know, one of the problems I've had with Lamar managing his own contract negotiations is that when nobody's your agent, everybody's your agent. And the NFLPA thinks they're your agent because you don't have one. And you know they they approve a, all agents normally anyway, so so they maybe even feel like they need to approve Lamar Jackson as Lamar Jackson's agent. Uh, it, it it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of had that viewpoint, but they they no doubt were chirping in his ear the whole time, telling him you know you're not just negotiating for yourself, you're negotiating for all quarterbacks that follow after you, and you know you you, you can't screw them by not taking a fully guaranteed contract, or or you need to make sure that it's position correctly that the Ravens take the blame for acting like you could have played when you really couldn't have or to frame it up that way for whoever your next suitor is and that one of the problems I have with the Lamar statement is is it's obviously not Lamar speaking as Lamar read the thing it, it doesn't sound like Lamar Jackson at all you don't think that sounded like him <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's like it's like it's, it wasn't Shakespeare. I don't I don't want to you know get, get see that, but it wasn't. Yeah, we, uh, we had some fun with that on the yeah. podcast when uh, <laughs> yeah, when we were reading it. All right, let's get back to Lamar on the field. What's your next point? Uh, next point. I mean, I, it's just this bringing up the injury thing. Like it, it's hard to do because it doesn't have anything to do with what people who casually observe this team and would knock him for injuries think it would have to do with, but it's just a situation where, and I don't even know how much of an on the field thing it really is, but it's like, how can you commit the fully guaranteed contract when he's ended the last two years on the shelf? And I personally probably would be willing to do it, but I can understand why Steve Bishotti would be having some hesitations about doing so because, you know, two years, a month plus on the shelf. And then, you miss the playoffs and then you lose a playoff game that you probably would have won if you were out there on the field. So that's sort of my, my last thing is my, my lasting image of this season is going to be Lamar Jackson going down in that Denver Broncos game that I was at. Mm -hmm. The weather was miserable and was a largely miserable experience, except for the win at the end there. Shout out to Tyler Huntley for getting it done, but that's just sort of my, and that's why I said it felt like a relief uh, getting done with the season was all the drama that related to this injury and going back to the injury and how just miserable that game was and the few games after it were. And there were some fun moments here and there, but it just, you know, the, the one thing that I hope against hope for his sake and for the team's sake and, you know, wherever he winds up, but I, I do hope it's in Baltimore. I hope that availability is not going to be a concern going forward for this guy. Cause he is, I, I think as good as any quarterback in the league at certain points or has been in, his career. So the potential is there, but you, you just want that avail availability to remain there too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll, I'll go to a positive point is that Lamar still remains the greatest single player impact on offensive football in the entire NFL. And what, when I say that, I really talk about his impact on the other players has never been fully measured by any system. I, I have the PFF guys on fairly regularly and they say, yeah, it's a fair point. You know, we just, we don't know how to grade that. We we don't know how to say, hey, that inside linebacker is looking to the backfield, so he made a he made a bad play, or uh, you know he read the play wrong because of who Lamar is, and that created an opportunity for somebody else. It just becomes harder hard for them to ascribe that value to Lamar uh, when they're trying to grade every play from 
essentially a plus four to minus four system. It's really it's plus two to minus two, but in half point increments. So it's a it's that's what they're doing under the covers of of what they do. And it's just you know, Lamar Jackson probably starts out with with a plus one on every single play because of his or plus a half uh, uh, just because of all the the effect he has on all the other players on the field. And uh, you know, you can even extend that beyond the offense to the defense. It's much easier to play defense with the lead in theory. The 2022 Ravens didn't prove it, but the, all the previous Ravens teams certainly have. It's much easier to play defense with the lead than than when trailing. And the Ravens of the early Jackson era prior to 22 um, had an unbelievable record, not only when they had the lead at halftime, but in the percentage of games that they had the lead at halftime. Yeah, certainly, and um, it, it was just a roller coaster season for uh, a lot of different, a lot of different respects. And it felt like when Lamar was playing at his best, the defense was letting him down, and then uh, maybe vice versa. Uh, he didn't let them down uh, with his play per se, but getting injured, it just it felt like a, a season that was completely turned on its head for a lot of different reasons. And I think you you bring up some interesting points in that regard. There. All right. Another point. I think I'm good. Okay, uh, I have a few more. Um, so arm angles still are there. Uh, I think they've been largely positive, even even this this last year. Uh, the more you can move, the more you can use your arm angle, the less you're going to get passes batted down. And I thought he had a pretty good year this year if, from that perspective. Uh, obviously, the offensive line was better, so that's gonna that's gonna help things. Did not always have the best protection in the middle, but generally had a good interior offensive line with the two guards both having good pass blocking years uh and and you know having two tackles again on the outside uh gave him more freedom but ronnie stanley back even not playing at the full all pro ronnie stanley level is still an enormous benefit to lamar and that really showed up in spades i thought this year relative to last yeah i think it certainly did and it, it looked even better when ronnie got in there more consistently i think because he was sort of doing that platoon thing early on in the year uh after it he had he had come back healthy and yeah the arm angles i think is interesting because in 2021 he picked up that little double clutch thing and i think maybe part of that was the offensive line being so unsettled and uh he was maybe doing too much of it but i do like him having some of that in the repertoire and i think he did have some of it this year and it was a good amount uh maybe drawing some favorable comparisons to matthew stafford i think a little bit uh, did Lamar this past year, um, which was something that I hadn't really heard before, but then somebody made the point and I couldn't get it out of my head. So yeah, I thought, uh, I think it's, it's an interesting part of his uh, continued development here. Yeah. Um, okay. If we, if we're, if we're talking other things, uh, I thought he's, he's continues to keep his eyes down the field very well. This is something that, that not every quarterback can do. And a lot of the things that Lamar Jackson does well, you don't normally have good control groups in football, but Tyler Huntley and to a lesser extent, Anthony Brown are not completely dissimilar quarterbacks. Brown, more of a pocket passer, but Huntley is not, not a completely dissimilar quarterback. He just doesn't do any of the things Lamar does as well. Doesn't take care of the football as well. Doesn't take pressure as well. Doesn't have nearly the pocket awareness uh, that Lamar has. Doesn't make something out of a role. Doesn't read as quickly. Doesn't force defenders to make more mistakes and doesn't run the ball effectively at all in terms of, of uh, getting down the field and making people miss. You really notice a lack of ability to, to read opposing leverage and to throw out a fake that will throw opposing leverage off so that it can be read and, and exploited. And uh, it just the difference between the two, I mean, you rarely have a control group as good as those two 
as he had it. I, I don't want to bash Tyler Huntley continuing the show, but there's going to be some of that because he didn't really play that well. And the, the biggest thing that I can say that's positive about Tyler is that his teammates really seem to love him and get behind him when he's in there playing. Yeah, I agree. He uh, he does elicit a lot of emotions from those guys, and I think it's he's just a guy who's had to earn it a hundred or every single step of the way coming out as an undrafted guy, and you know playing I think fairly well for an undrafted or I guess former undrafted in twenty twenty one free agent. But I think the expectations changed a little bit this year, and uh, he did not play up to par for them for you know much of the year, unfortunately. Uh, because he does seem very likable. But uh, yeah, he's not quite on Lamar's level, who you mentioned getting out of the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield, and just having his simple presence affect the leverage of those defenders where they think, oh, wow, is he going to run? Do I have to peel off a little bit? And that's going to open up lanes for him. Uh, that's something that he's always going to have in his uh, in his bag, so to say, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I Most of the time, I think that a lot of the commentary on other teams figuring out Lamar is complete crap. I just, I, I just, I, I have to use air quotes every time I, I say it. Um, L- Lamar has also layered on his game. There have been things that have been somewhat effective against Lamar. I think delayed pressure has proven to be pretty effective in terms of limiting his boot ability. So when you see an inside linebacker coming like a half step earlier than the half second earlier, I should say, than they would when they see the pocket broken, I think that's generally been pretty effective at making him less effective. Uh, but a lot of the other things that really changed the run game in 20 and 21, you know, some people don't notice, but, you know, they run this huge percentage of pistol plays in 2019, which meant the handoff to Gus Edwards and to Mark Ingram were generally going right up the middle. And they were the between the tackles threat, maybe a little bit of off tackle play in, involved there, too. Um, and Justice Hill was, I guess, the third back on that team as well. But Lamar was really the outside threat, along with Hollywood and Jet Motion and whatever they would run in terms of pulling players, which was less counters in 2019 and, and uh, than it is today. Today, it's all built around Lamar Jackson being that middle threat, which I think has magnified his presence on the field. And, and it really, it, it should make the Ravens even better at getting the ball to the tight ends um, when you when when Lamar can basically puppeteer those opposing inside linebackers um, w- with the well with the way the scheme works and with the way he uh, is in the mesh point. Yeah, and I think that was something that really was lost when they had to turn the keys over to Huntley is a really underrated aspect of Lamar's game. Uh, and this is a, a point that my co-host Spencer makes a lot is how well he manages the run game, mm-hmm. uh, not just in how clean his handoffs are, which they are, which Huntley's aren't always, but how he makes checks at the line, kills it, cans it, does whatever he has to do. He just has a very innate understanding and a very well-studied understanding of what a defense lining up uh, and what it looks like and how that is going to relate to uh, the run play that is eventually going to be called and whether he has to hand it off or whether he has to keep it. uh, I think he's just got a really good understanding of that kind of stuff. And uh, that was something that was sorely missed in his absence. Yeah, very, very legitimate point. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, yeah, another thing that we we kind of see from Lamar Jackson, which has continued to be good, is we have not really seen fourth gear from Lamar Jackson very often as an NFL player. And I know he's gotten up to 20 miles an hour on some runs, uh, but most of the time, Lamar's ideal speed is about third gear, where he's just getting ready to make the next man miss. That's that's the speed he wants to run. And, and his third gear is still plenty fast, but uh, Lamar Jackson is not as fast a player as some of the BS 40 times that have come from his distant past or are mentioned. I don't believe he was ever a 434 40 guy. 
I, I think, you know, he's, he's probably a mid four fours guy or maybe a slightly under four five guy, but he's fast, but not, and that's very fast, but, but not the fastest man you've ever seen. What's really special about Lamar is how he can make people miss with, with, with reading leverage. And if you listen to the guy talk about it, even for a, for a minute, you realize all the things he understands. It's like all of a sudden having someone, I don't want to use the term idiot savant because it's not fair to Lamar in so other ways. The guy seems like a, a, a smart football mind in a lot of ways, but he can talk about other things in football, or he can just talk to the media and try and respond to their questions and sometimes maybe struggle with a little bit or, or uh, uh, you know, kind of respond kind of offhandedly without thinking about it too much. But then if you get him in a conversation where he's, where it's, it's about how he read his opponent, there's a lot of specific details that start coming out that give you understanding of just how much he gets it. Yeah. He's a, he's a 25 year old or whatever he is. Right. And you know, it's talking to the media like that. I'm not sure how well I would have done at his age. I'm I'm two years older than him. So it's funny for me to talk like that, but way back then, (laughs) even even now. Right. But yeah, that's, it's, it's just kind of, it is one of those funny things where it's almost Belichickian where you get him opening up on that kind of stuff. And you really see him sort of open up his personality through his love of football, which is great. But yeah, to your other point, maybe one day he will be as fast as Daniel Jones on the field, but uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. (laughs) All right. Uh, Lots of things, lots, lots of things to love. I still believe Lamar Jackson is the right guy to lead this Ravens offense. I hope the new offensive coordinator is going to make use of his talents and 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 really fold on top of the re, the Roman schemes rather than completely obliterating them because I think that would be a big mistake. Uh, what Roman did for the offense was was very good. He was in a lot of ways the best guy to do it over the last four years. Uh, whatever complaints people have about the passing game i will remind people the ravens offense has been among the best in the entire nfl for this four-year period completely agree no reason to throw the baby out with the bathwater, particularly with this run game and these schemes hopefully you can retain an urban you can retain a, a t martin you can retain a keith williams i think all these guys have done good things and whoever it might be that is going to keep that sort of run game uh with this franchise to a certain extent uh I definitely would want to hang on to that person. But those other guys, I think they've all made good contributions as well. And I think it's really about, it's not about tearing up the playbook. It's just about taking a step forward. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think there's, there was lots of reasons to do it. And we don't need to go into those certainly on this show. But my, my one question to you would be, who's the guy who can keep the continuity in the Ravens run game going? And the reason I ask this, because it's just kind of coming into my head right now, watching Dallas Sanders coach, I think he's more of a offensive line, individual footsteps and blocking technician than a scheme guy. All, I, all I've ever seen him do, admittedly, it's, it's just at practice, you watch Joe D coach, and he's very much getting their face, individual reps. When the player's not doing it right, he steps right in the same spot, and he takes the, takes the, the first step, second step like that. And he, and he shows how to use your hands against the player. And he talks about how to torque a player when, you, when you know, the, the right guard or whatever has to open the gate on a pole. You know, he, he talks about various things. But I, I just I don't see him as the scheme guy. And maybe he's been that before. And maybe the Ravens have really asked him to mostly focus on developing offensive linemen from a technical standpoint. But I don't think it would be him continuing the scheme. I think it would, it would have to be somebody else who was an assistant to Roman, uh, who who might be that guy. And I just don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know who it would be either. And I think it would make sense for Joe D to sort of be that 
make each player the best version of themselves that they can be. And then when it comes to installs, Roman and whoever it is, is going to tell them what they have to do. And yeah, who would that guy be that's going to do that? I'm not necessarily sure either. I don't know if it would be an Urban, who's obviously been more QB focused. I don't think it would be a Martin, who's been more passing game focused. I'm not sure who it would be. How about John Harbaugh? I mean, you're in there with Roman every single day. And uh, I think when we were talking a couple months ago, we were talking about how Harbaugh is a little bit more scheme savvy than I think he gets credit for. How about, you know, you go ahead and do what you have to do to uh, keep those schemes within the playbook? Yeah, I I think that's I think that's valid, you know, in terms of of uh, of somebody who uh, who could do it. Harbaugh knows way more. And yeah, we've we've covered this already. Harbaugh never wants to give it away in an interview, which is is the reason why we never hear just how much he knows. But it's great to hear him. Just, just ask him a question about what the other team is doing because he doesn't mind giving that away. And he'll talk you, he'll talk right through it in, in terms of what they did that, that, that worked. Of course, then, of course, he probably doesn't want to say too much about what they did that worked that the Ravens weren't able to stop. <laughs> so he wants to check himself again. But he's, he's very good. He really understands the game at a much deeper level. And it's, it's good to have a guy like that who doesn't turn his back to the field you know, who doesn't have to be off coaching guys on the bench, still gets to be the game manager, can watch both sides of the ball. Uh, you really want that, which means you need a delegator. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, to that point, I think he could be a guy who could delegate properly and say, hey, here's what we're going to retain from Greg. Take this to the coordinator. And then uh, when install time comes, make sure that uh, that is going to be the emphasis for this run game. So, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, I thought you were actually going to have him uh, be part of the offensive install but that's exactly the way to do it is the tight ends coach or whoever is the guy that, that is really driving the run game as it stands right now from a scheme, whoever understands it from a scheme perspective, that that guy now, you know, he says, I, I want you to you know, listen over here to, to uh, uh, this young man, and he, he's going to be a big part of your offensive philosophy and or in terms of the offensive scheme we run. And, and Roman had that, had that point before he became offensive coordinator under Morningweg. He, yep. he had that sort of control. Yeah, he was the run game coordinator, I think, when he first came back here, you know, back in 2017 or whatever that was. So, yeah. A t- tight ends coach, then run game coordinator, right? So mm-hmm. I think it was, might have been two years in a row, yeah. Yep. All right, so I think we've we've said enough about Lamar. Let's move on and talk a little bit about Tyler Huntley. And obviously, you know, one of the things about Tyler, that the, the, the players loved playing with him, but he also played hurt for a fair amount of 2022. So I want to preface some of the things I'd say was saying that I'm not sure how much of this was injury related. I think there are recognition things that were not injury related, but but there certainly was some lack of ability um, to do certain things on the football field that I think was. It just, the whole thing to me felt limited. Something about his throwing felt limited. His running didn't feel the same, you know, it didn't feel as explosive. It didn't feel as effective. It felt like, and this was kind of a cliche, it, it felt like, Every time he dropped back to pass, if the first read wasn't open, he would scramble to his right and he would try to do something. He would either scramble for a few yards and get contained or he would just kind of throw a lollipop up or whatever it might be. And hopefully something bad doesn't happen. It just felt very, very vanilla, very one dimensional and just very predictable to the point that the Steelers knew exactly what was coming uh, in that home loss to him where he filters out to his right, make a Fitzpatrick all over it pick to uh, to end the game there. So it just... Just at first blush, there it was just it, it just got very predictable uh, after not even that long of a time watching him. 
Yeah, there's there's lots of things going on there. Uh, obviously, he's playing in 2021. He came in in a terrible situation, and I thought he played better than he did in 22, which is part of the reason I think it may be injury related. And and in in 21, I mean, obviously, didn't have a left tackle. Actually, almost didn't have a left tackle. They had Alejandro Villanueva there, and and the difference between him and Ronnie Stanley is enormous. Uh, but definitely had a lack of pocket awareness, and even though. They basically tried to treat him like Joe Burrow in terms of getting that ball out of his hands really quickly, like the Bengals do to try and avoid offensive line weakness. Um, Huntley really still lacked pocket awareness and also read speed to get through what he needed to do, even on a short throw basis. Like a, a lot of a quarterback like Burrow, a lot of what he has to do is just read it when he first comes to the line of scrimmage, then react to it. And, and he can be a first read quarterback, not necessarily first look quarterback. Can look somewhere else, then go to his actual read at the line of scrimmage and throw the ball there. Yeah, and it feels like with Burrow's quick release and very solid mechanics, like that's a, a recipe for success. It feels like, you know, talking about Lamar Jackson's mechanics, it feels like Huntley's were a little all over the place this year where you get a wide base on some plays and narrow base on others, and he's just kind of improvising. He's just doing whatever he has to do to get the ball out. Uh, as quickly as possible and uh, not in a pretty fashion either because it felt to me like his uh, his motion was a little elongated at times like just it, it just was not a pretty picture I don't think yeah I obviously had a lot of trouble with the mesh point had had trouble getting the ball away from center uh, bad things seemed to follow him around like James Prochet almost in this in this last year I, I you know Prochet obviously a lot of just misplays in his career to date, uh, Josh Reed made this point, but his first year he had three uh, targets and two of them were pick sixes. So, so that's not good. And then of course he steps out of bounds. I, I, I wouldn't even blame him for not catching the football, but it, boy, that would have turned everything around if he had, you know, at the, at the end of the game, uh, lots of, uh, lots of things about Tyler Huntley have been, He's had a lot more just miss moments with the Ravens than he's had just make it moments. And it's not that he's a, an awful, awful backup quarterback, but I think the Ravens are now at the crossroads after three seasons with Huntley that they probably are well served to reset if they can do it. So they'll bring in a quarterback to compete in camp. Yeah, they could keep Huntley around for a fourth year, but it makes to me it makes more sense if either Anthony Brown or whatever other first year guy is the guy they would they would go move to as the next possible backup for Jackson. Yeah, I think they jumped the gun a little bit with their timetable. I think sometimes when you have a young quarterback, it's like, let's have the veteran in there that's going to mentor him. And uh, obviously, RG3 was that for a couple of years. And then he retires and goes to uh, the booth. And uh, when sometimes you get a veteran quarterback, it's like, well, let's get a, a young option in here that's intriguing that we can build around that we're not really worried about having to put into the lineup too often uh, or too much. Uh, and Lamar is still kind of a young guy and Tyler's a young guy and I get that they're friends and, uh, the Ravens liked him as a backup option. And I think it's, you know, it was perfect, perfectly reasonable to do so, especially after he did a decent job last year, I thought, but, uh, ultimately it was an experiment that, uh, did not pay off nearly as well for them in 2022, even though he won more games, but it, it just didn't look as good. Yeah. They have more, more NFL teams are requiring mobility at quarterback now. As, as part of what they do. I mean, Lamar Jackson really started a revolution across the NFL in a lot of ways. Jalen Hurts is one of the beneficiaries in terms of, of, of what he's done. It's not that Hurts wasn't a great football player, but the fact that Hurts got a chance right off the bat pretty much with a, with a, a top-quality franchise 
tells you all you need to know about uh, and and then continued to get that chance after not playing all that well initially. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I think uh, it's something that's going to be interesting to look at uh, with this draft class, even I think where you have a Bryce Young that can move around, where you have a CJ Stroud that can certainly move a little bit. Uh, there's going to be a lot of guys, Anthony Richardson. It just feels like it's sort of a prerequisite in today's NFL, which is different from even 10 years ago, you know, when Geno Smith is sort of your top quarterback in 2013, uh, I guess EJ Manuel got picked before him, but those two guys, neither of them were really the picture of like elite mobility. And, uh, I don't think any of the guys in this class today are looked at as that either, but they would blow those guys out of the water. It's, it's weird how even just 10 years from then, it feels like almost a different sport. It, it really does. And the height of the quarterback being one of the big things that has been a compromise a lot of teams have been willing to make. And they've been well served if they got Russell Wilson in Seattle or they got Lamar Jackson, who is not short or anything. But, you know, 6'2 was thought of as being kind of short for a quarterback at one time. Uh, and, and, you know, you wanted a 6'5 guy. And there are a bunch of teams who had these these guys who were, you know, statues in the pocket. And, and we had one of them here with Joe Flacco. But, uh, uh, you know, you're... The game has changed a fair amount. And, you know, Baker Mayfield gets the number one overall pick at six feet. Nothing, if you believe that. And, and uh, you know, is, is uh, uh, making commercials off that. Although, although is, you know, we don't know exactly where his career is at this point. Yeah, I'll be, uh, <laughs> I'll be intrigued to see what happens with him. Matthew Stafford going to be coming back for another year. And uh, I don't know, maybe if Lamar Jackson leaves town, Baker Mayfield, wouldn't that be quite a story? You know, I, there's there's the the guys that could be the Ravens quarterback if Lamar Jackson leaves town. Uh, we wouldn't be happy probably with any of them, but there is a chance that that one of them could work out. I mean, two of the teams that might end up with Lamar Jackson are the Jets and the Giants. Would Zach Wilson for sure not work out with the Ravens? Is he too much of a boss to have any chance to work with the Ravens with a good offensive line, with a good running game, with a great defense? Uh, could Zach Wilson be the game manager you want? Could Daniel Jones be that guy if he goes to the Giants? Because in either case, pretty likely that quarterback is returned to the trade. Yeah, I think a Zach Wilson, they're just not going to mess around with. I think they're they're close with Joe Douglas. They're going to know what's going on inside that building, and it has not sounded good from what I've heard. So I don't think they would want any part of that. And the other part is, listen, they got a ready-made roster. And if you want to sell yourself on a guy, you know, I could sell myself on a Daniel Jones coming in and winning 11 games. I could not do that with a Zach Wilson. There, there are plenty of guys that I think you could, but Zach Wilson would not be on that that short list. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's an intriguing spot to be in when you have a roster like this, because you could sell yourself on a lot of guys, I think. So I think we could talk very briefly about Anthony Brown. I'm not sure it really matters. Obviously didn't, didn't take care of the football uh, started that week, 18 game finished the week, 16 game where, with a lot of handoffs that, that uh, uh, you know, basically got the game over with, which was terrific. Um, and, and the Ravens run game, despite him, you know, or, or, or because of him, if you want to say that, uh, you know, got it done. They got, he had made a three yard throw to, to, get them off the goal line, which seems to be the most celebrated throw in recent Ravens history. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't deserve it, but it's, but it was what it was. Uh, nice to see him do that. Not a great week 18 game, obviously in terms of, of, of what happened there, but uh, 
that leaves us at the point we're at right now. Anything to say about Anthony Brown? I, I'm kind of hurrying this through, and I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about hurrying through Anthony Brown if I were you. Uh, but I don't know. It's you know he he made that throw that you mentioned in the Week 16 game. He also made another throw to Mark Andrews, I think, on third down. Might have been like a third and four that he kind of I. It, it might yeah. be a little bit of a stretch to say that he fit it in there, but it was a contested catch. So I'll give him some credit. Uh, nice job by Mark Andrews. But yeah, I don't know. Like he's he's a professional quarterback. I think I tweeted that in the preseason when uh, he was kind of lighting it up a little bit. I was like, you know what? This guy, he'll hang on rosters for, you know, a, a decade if he wants to, I think. And I think he showed enough to uh, hang his hat on that uh, moving forward into next year. All right. I might take the under on a decade, but I, he is he is a guy who um, seems to have an arm. And he's the kind of guy I think the Ravens might have gambled on this year instead of Hyder Huntley. And, you know, I, I don't know how much there was of this on your show, but on, on our shows, all sorts of talk about Tyler Hunting, Huntley getting traded for a relatively high round draft pick. I certainly heard a two mentioned. Yeah, uh, we um, <laughs> I think we got some questions about that. And um, I listen, all I would say is I'm a Ravens fan and I would take that trade. Sorry to cut cut your. No, it's off. okay. No, I'm I'm I almost spit take there from from the comment, but that's a that's a it's a very fair one. Uh, so let's let's talk to the talk elephant in the room here because the Ravens are gonna whatever is gonna happen is gonna happen on this contract over the next five weeks or so, and we're recording this on the night of January 26th for what that's worth because it might be as much as a about a week before this gets uh, aired. So something may already have been done. That'd be terrific if it, if uh, if that's the case. But if nothing is done, and the 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 season starts and they and they tag Lamar, do you think there's a reason why the Ravens would not go ahead and move to or accept offers this offseason anyway? Um, I, I don't think they want to do it explicitly, but but do you think there's any reason why they wouldn't be listening as soon as the offers start getting made? I think it would be bad business not to. Yeah. You can't have another year of limbo like you had with 2022. And ostensibly 2022 was not, right? It was it was sold. At least the fan base was selling themselves on the idea of, okay, it's the fifth-year option. They got the franchise tag in front of that. They got the, the next franchise tag after that. They got plenty of time. Mm-hmm. But Ken, I think you know this feeling. I think I know this feeling. I think everyone listening to this knows this feeling. There was a cloud hanging over this team in 2022 and it made it a less enjoyable season i think it affected their success a little bit on the field i think it affected morale and it was a contract situation and one way or the other in the coming couple weeks like you mentioned it has to be resolved whether it's shipping them off and getting hopefully a king's ransom to start over or my preference and i think a lot of the people listening's preference resign him for whatever it might take and uh, move forward into the future but you can't continue to live in this limbo of He's on the tag and he's costing whatever, you know, crazy amount that it is to have him be the quarterback of this team just for one year. It's just, it's not a good place to be in. I don't think they would want effectively a lame duck or maybe close to a lame duck option at quarterback, uh, costing all that money for them and just, you know, continually continuing the bad PR that we had at the end of the season for them, where they're having to answer questions about the injury and his contract. I just think that's not a place they want to be, right? They're an organization that, you know, it's cliche. People don't want to hear it, but they're a good, good organization. They do things the right way and they don't want to be in the headlines like that again. And I, I'm not expecting it one way or the other. Yeah, I would agree. I think they'll, they're they're going to be smart about it and they probably will start by saying, look, 
we're not trading Omar Jackson, which they've already kind of set up for at this at this season ending press conference. But that should be the indicator. That's a signal, as a politician would say, you know, to in, in, in foreign relations, that they really are indicated in negotiating in some things. They they just want the the back channel to be open. And if you're any one of about 14 NFL teams and Lamar Jackson would make all kinds of sense for you, then you you come to the Baltimore Ravens and you make your best offer. And one of the things the Ravens need to be careful about is they 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 don't want to indicate there's no market just as strongly as they do want to, don't want to indicate there is a market. If there is a market, boy, then Lamar could just get pissed off and say, "Look, guys, I'm holding in. I you guys you obviously want to trade me, and I'm not disagreeing, but just get it done. I, I'm 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 not." I don't want to sit around, play a whole year on the tag, risk injury, and then and then we could have a real bad situation. Lamar actually could be in a position where he reduces his own value if he does that. So I hope he I hope he wouldn't do that. But it's you know he if if that's the way the team treats it, I think it's possible that's the way it ends up. Now the other the other way is you really need to have multiple bidders to make this be a process that works out for the team in the way it needs to. So if they're going to get 5,000 JJ points in return for Lamar Jackson, you know, which would be, you know, effectively three first round picks, that's, that's too high, but maybe 4,000 JJ points, get three picks worth 1,300 each or a a 2,000 and two 1,000s out of the deal. Um, You know, they're, they're, they're going to have to have multiple bidders to make that happen. It can't just be one team. It has to be the Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson sweepstakes all over again, which basically means Lamar is going to know as it's happening that, uh, you know, Monty Hall is moving around the audience trying to make a deal. Yeah, and I think especially with Russell Wilson falling flat on his face and the Deshaun Watson experiment, I, I get that it's more of a more than a one-year thing, but it just feels like it's not off to such a hot start. I think that depresses the market a little bit. So it might yeah. even push that down a little bit further in your JJ points that you're talking about. So yeah, it's going to be interesting and they are going to have to get multiple teams involved. I think you're right in that. But uh, I think that will be easy to do because if they do want to move him, I've been saying for several months now that all it's going to take is one desperate or stupid or both owner that is going to sell themselves on the idea that we're one player away. We are one quarterback away and all we have to do is just mortgage the farm and uh, you get that opening bid. You take that to other people that drives up that bid that drives up the other bid. It drives up every bid. And all of a sudden, uh, you got yourself a, a pretty decent bounty that you're walking away with um, if it comes to that, which I hope it doesn't. Right. I, I hope it doesn't too. Boy, I want to see Lamar Jackson in a Ravens uniform for the next decade, if possible. But, uh, you know, it, it, if if it has to be, it has to be. And there, there is even a point where the Ravens wouldn't be prudent to say no, even if they think Lamar's happy, Lamar's coming back, and Lamar, you know, will will take a reasonable contract. And, and, you know, let's let's toss out something like that, like two hundred and fifty million dollars over five years, which might be too low at this point and one hundred and fifty of that guaranteed, because I think that's about what maybe he's likely to get at this point. Um, maybe I might not have the, the two fifty might not number might not be correct, but I think the one fifty guaranteed is probably in the right range. It's not going to be a fully guaranteed contract. And I, I think what he'll find is if the Ravens tell him, you know, you know what, take it around the league. Find the team that's willing to give you 250 guaranteed and also that will give us the draft capital we need because we're going to be looking for this and, and we're, we're happy to have this. But it, that's that, that, ought, that will necessarily create acrimony. And if Lamar Jackson had an agent 
then that situation can be tarted up for him appropriately. But that would be an a, a ideal time to more have an agent is to basically saying, sell yourself to the rest of the league. Find yeah, and, me that team. Yeah. And I think it's interesting the way that the willingness to move on from him sends smoke signals to people and figures around the league. If I'm Joe Douglas and I'm good friends with Eric DaCosta and I know the ins and outs of how Eric DaCosta does business and Eric DaCosta is saying, I'm willing to move on. Yes, for a lot of compensation, but I am willing to move on from this guy. If I'm a Brad Holmes in Detroit who came up in this league looking up to Ozzie Newsom, and I would assume has a little bit of a relationship with him, I might have a little bit of pause if the organization that Ozzie Newsom works for is saying, we're willing to move on from this guy. If the Ravens are willing to say that, and again, I know some people that are maybe a little bit more on the negative side of this fan base don't want to hear it, I think that carries a little bit of weight. I think these people are within this front office are looked at uh, with some respect. Uh, I think their name carries some weight and um, that might not send such a great message uh, to those teams. So maybe that would create a little bit of pause for them. It's an interesting way. You've kind of turned that on its head in a way that I'm not sure I agree with. I mean, Lamar Jackson obviously is a special talent. I think the thing if you're Eric DaCosta, maybe the thing that goes with this is, and you don't want to lay this out for every other potential owner who might make you an offer, every other potential GM that might make you an offer, is that we're having some difficulty getting to a contract with Lamar Jackson, and he wants a structure that we would not typically give in our current position, or you know, ever really, because we believe in this, you know, level uh, play. You know, the, the thing that Voss really does not like is is you're, you're not trying to ride the ride the roller coaster of parity for all of its ups and downs. Get the value of tanking out of troughing. Get the value of going all in when you do that. Um, I think the Ravens' injuries the last couple of years have, have, have pretty much shown people that there's a whole lot of negative in terms of uh, in terms of doing that. There are just unintended consequences of it that, that make it not a great strategy to start with. But the Rams won with it. And I, where do you sit on that, by the way, Jake? Um, I'm, I don't know. I, I appreciate what the Ravens do. I appreciate being in a small market town and I appreciate the roots that they've come from. And I appreciate how intellectually they go about their business and they have a plan and they stick to it and that they have an identity and they build around it. And I think they're very smart people in place uh, I'd like to see maybe a little bit more calculated aggression here and there, but as far as going all in, I'm good on that. Like, I don't want to watch four and 12 seasons personally as Me a fan. Either. And you know, the whole idea of, Oh, well their whole goal. And I love us to death. He's one of, one of my good friends, but the whole idea of all they want to do is get to the wild card round. I don't totally agree with that. If he wants to look at it that way, that's totally fine. You know, if you want to say divisional round and then hope from there, like, Okay, maybe that's fine. But first and foremost, they want to win the division, which I think is, you know, it's something that makes sense. At least that's what they say they want to do. But ultimately, I think they do have championships in mind and they go about it a little bit differently, a little bit slower. And uh, maybe they do need to pick up the pace a little bit because teams, you know, that do this cash over cap thing like the Rams, as you mentioned, they just find ways to get around it. Uh, in a perfect world, the Ravens will be able to just do that and there would be no salary cap or whatever. And they could just go ahead and, uh, you know, sort of, copy that methodology but ultimately i i'm fine with the way they do things maybe a little bit more of a calculated aggression certainly this offseason i think they need to at the very least 
And Voss talks about his premium positions. I think what he's really always riled up about is the wide receiver position. And going past the last couple of years, I am with him on that. I think they need to take it more seriously. Sure. And I think this is the offseason to do so. Yeah, let, let me, I, I want to explain. Voss is on the show all the time. And I really respect the way he talks about the um, riding the, not riding the roller coaster parody, but going all in and then being willing to, to, to take a down year. Um, I respect it because he makes the hard choice for general manager, which is basically where am I not going to spend money? That's the that's the question you have to answer. It's not where you're going to spend money. Oh, I want to write a receiver. Look at this. Make it happen. Put it on the credit card. You know that that kind of tw- Twitter stuff just does not play with me. You know, it, it's you've got to figure out where you're not going to spend money. Then set responsible limits for yourself at the other places, or identify your cornerstone players that you really want to build around. The Ravens are blessed because they draft more cornerstone players than they can sign. Other teams aren't so blessed and have to go out to free agency to get them. And that really sucks for them in terms of what you have to pay for that player. So the Ravens are, have, have been very good about, about not only getting the cornerstone players, but also getting the mid-level guys like Ricard or um, you know the special teams guys that continually sign these two-year contracts and, and other mid-range guys. Chuck Clark would be a good one that they signed early. Um, they, they've been very good about that. But I respect what Voss does about not spending money at certain places. It's just in some cases, I'm not sure how it's possible to do it. It's like the Ravens' current inside linebacker position dilemma. Very difficult to try and get yourself out of that. They're going to try and trade Patrick Queen, I'm pretty sure, but they don't want to pay two inside linebackers. I agree with Foss on that, but they've already paid one a lot. And does that is does that already break the philosophy? And it, it might. Yeah, and another thing for me is like some of the signings. Like I, I'm good on a Michael Pierce. You know, at this time last year, a little bit, a uh, little bit uh, more into the year when free agency opened. Like I, I, I just don't know why they need to be doing that. Uh, that's one thing that I was kind of scratching my head at a little bit. And um, maybe, and I, I think I said this on our podcast a couple weeks back, where the conversation was, well, if you're going to fix wide receiver, what are you going to do with cornerback? Well, cornerback is very valuable. I will certainly grant that, but. You drafted a Jalen Armour Davis, who I think they're probably going to like a lot. You have Brandon Stevens still in the fold. Mike McDonald walked away from the season, especially after the way that he ended it, with a lot of plaudits. Well, how about Mike McDonald has to figure it out a little bit at cornerback? If he is this you know, extremely talented coordinator, which I believe that he is, and whoever's going to be an offensive coordinator, and hopefully Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh, who has had some issues with this, how about we invest it? wide receiver and pass catcher and just kind of have that take care of itself and then have the coaching, which, you know, you've invested in for the defensive side of the ball. How about they figure it out at cornerback? You've already built up the spine of the defense. That's very strong. It just feels like, yeah, to, to the point of where do you not want to spend? I'm with them on not spending on things like Michael Pierce. Well, that's kind of already, you know, you've already pot committed yourself to that to a certain extent, but uh, there are going to have to be some tough decisions to be made. And I think to modernize the operation, maybe take some of uh, take some of our friend Voss's advice for 2023. So part of my problem about the Michael Pierce situation is it's, it's a tiny amount of money. It's, it's just a tiny amount of money. He's 2 million to be saved this year on the cap. Uh, you know, he, he was playing well at the beginning. I mean, I just, I, I admittedly it's it's a little bit over the vet minimum but it's but it's it's not one of the contracts that matters it it just isn't the, the, the contracts that matter are the uh are marcus peters and what you do with him it's it's uh, marlon humphrey it's it's ronnie stanley and can you really harvest value out of you know what he's doing are you harvesting enough value to to, to play that contract all the way through um you know it's it, the other the other kind of contract which which might not work out is the Clayus Campbell contract, but so far that hasn't been the problem. 
boy, he's he's been the best player the Ravens have for most of his time here. So uh, I, I can't f- fault that. So I, I, I got to understand Voss's examples of the bad mid-range contracts and then add them all up. I still don't think you get I mean, Gus Edwards is a good example. If they pay Gus Edwards this year, I think it would be un-Ravens-like. To, to yeah, I think their, uh, Nick Boyle for a couple of years was one of his examples that I agree point. with. Yeah, yeah, to an extent. So that will be one of them. Um, but yeah, I think he, he, and this is where Twitter kind of loses it a little bit. I think he seeks to make his point. So he'll like latch onto these examples. And then we kind of take that for his whole portfolio. When really, if you would just have, sit down and have a conversation with him about it, it would come across a little bit more reasonable because he says like, oh, well, if you don't do five of those contracts and that saves you like 8 million or whatever it is, it's like, well, you got to have those positions like so like you're gonna have guys making vet minimum there anyway so like what really is the difference uh with that um so yeah it's it's something that it's hard to have a nuanced chat like that over something like twitter uh he tries his best he tries his damnedest uh i love him to death he is just absolutely on the front line fighting his fight and he yes. will be uh until the day he leaves this earth and uh i respect <laughs> it i i don't have that intestinal fortitude to do so but uh, it's fun to discuss every now and again jake are you a season ticket holder uh used to be not any longer okay family season tickets anything that you you are are part of uh no so yeah we had them through uh my dad and then he stopped going to games so okay. uh, i do i am the beneficiary of uh my friend's dad who stopped going to games so i effectively am able to take advantage of season tickets without having to pay which is nice oh that's see that's the ultimate thing and and I think there's a natural chasm that has opened up between the season ticket holders and the non-season ticket holders with regard to uh, roller coaster tanking and and going all in. That's that's where I think that you know you, you, pe- people are on natural opposite sides of the fence of uh, of what's going on here. It's not it's not as bad as you know Republicans and Democrats not being able to talk to each other in this country, but it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, no, it's uh, you would think reading some of the some of the Twitter commentary that it, it kind of does resemble that a little bit uh, in some ways, but I don't know, man, I think it's, uh, I think it's fun to, uh, to jump into the mix there here and there. I can't do a lot of it. It just kind of burns me out. And the way that I look at it is guess what? The Ravens are never going to do that. So <laughs> we can, we can have all these conversations hypothetically as long as we want, but as long as Tipa Shadi owns his team, he is going to want to compete. So, yeah, that's been, it's been one of the real fun things about having the, the, the really solid group here for as long as they have Jake, Always love talking football with you. You're welcome on this show anytime, uh, but uh, please tell folks where they can talk with you online. Yeah, you guys can find me at Jake Luke. That's spelled L-O-U-Q-U-E on Twitter. Our podcast is Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. You can find it uh, pretty much anywhere you get your shows, YouTube, all that good stuff. So uh, yeah, appreciate it, Ken. All right. Always fun to have you on. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a That One Play episode, you probably have heard what it is by now so far this offseason, but pick one play in Ravens history. We'll talk about it from whatever perspective you would like, historical, personal, why you bought the guy's jersey, why the weather sucked that day, whatever you want to talk about. Why it was a turning point for the franchise? Uh, but I'd love to hear from you. DMs are always open on Twitter. Uh, give me your one play. I'll put you on the list with the others. We've got 22 of these already uh, scheduled now. So, uh some of the good plays are already missing. Somebody's already got the mile high miracle, but that doesn't mean there aren't a lot of others left as, as well. And I keep hearing great new ideas on this. So I want to hear yours. Jake, thanks again for coming on. Thanks again, Ken. A lot of fun. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.